this is much more general than just focusing on obesity, but um, I'll, I'll be looking at how migration might impact on issues like um, obesity as part of health behavior, so it's hopefully it'll have a broader context. Okay, um, just to say it's as a sort of background or framework, um, so when we sort of, the whole topic of migration and health covers many, many areas, so, so we're talking about the actual health itself, like physical health, uh, which is infectious and chronic diseases, workplace-related health, mental health, um, then health behavior, access to health care, which is, I think, um, particularly of interest. Um, and then we're also talking about determinants of these issues, um, the health and access to health care, um, sort of socioeconomic factors and other factors, and, uh, and also policies like migration policies and health policies and how those interact as well. Um, so I think the first thing is that there is a two-way relationship between migration and health, so that say people's health uh, changes because of migration. So and, and I'm not just referring to international migration here as well as as to in, internal migration as well. Um, so so yeah, you, know, you could talk the whole uh, migration journey, so from pre-migration to the actual process, and in, and the health in the receiving context. But also um, migration depends on health. So, you know, people who are, I'm going to come to this in a, in a bit, but the people who are healthy may migrate more. Uh, so it affects people um, uh, individually, but also it underlies migration policies. Um, so that, I think that's kind of like a key uh, framework. The second thing is that um, the health status of migrants and the access to and use of healthcare um, is an indicator of integration in, in receiving societies, which is also considered as a two-way process where migrants become part of the society they live in um, alongside um, access to other integration outcomes such as employment, housing, education, um, and so it affects their um, integration in, you know, sort of like employability and civic participation which depend on good health. Um, so that's sort of like more general context, but um, to give a context to, because I'm focusing on the UK, um, so there's a lot of changes in the migrant population in the in the UK um, over the last uh, 50, 60 years, particularly. Uh, so basically, the there's been um, a shift in the size, uh, changes in the size and the diversity of the non-UK-born population. Um, so, for instance, the, the large-scale uh, movement of people from the former British colonies has shifted to a much more diverse pattern. With, so they, so they, most of them were labor and family migrants, but that's still continuing, but perhaps more temporary and more circular now. Uh, but it coexists with people who are coming because of political conflicts in parts of the world, and also um, in the last decade, the um, um, accession of countries in Europe to the, to the European Union. Uh, particularly since 2004, and also the increase in students. So there's, you know, there's a shift in the in the sort of the diversity of migrants and, and more diversity now. Uh, the size has changed as well. So uh, in the 2011 census, um, around 13% of the UK population were born outside the UK, and that's a rise from 9% in 2001. Um, the, still, the most common country of birth is India, but is followed by Poland and the Polish. Um, sort of migration is the largest increase in the last, um, particularly since 2004, and it's been a massive increase there. So one of the sort of consequences of these shifts and changes in the size and diversity is the, the fact that, that, that migrants tend to, to settle in different 
areas which could be called new um, gateways. Uh, so for instance, because of asylum seeker dispersal since um, sort of late 1990s, and also where new EU migrants come and work uh, in agricultural areas or particular manufacturing. Um, so that so they seem to be settling in, in areas which they didn't use to, the, the, for the early migrants. So that provides a challenge to the public services and to um, low, you know, uh, service providers and to local policymakers uh, in terms of um, providing the services so you know access to, to, to healthcare for instance is affected that way. Um, and the sort of very important point I think uh, which is probably not stressed enough, is that one of the main challenges to understanding um, health and barriers to healthcare um, for f uh, migrants and their families is the kind of information that is collected at the moment. Um, so, and because I think of the increasing numbers of minority ethnic groups who are born in the UK, a lot of health data is collected by ethnicity, um, both administrative evidence and research evidence. Um, but even that is not complete. So, for instance, in hospital statistics, um, less than 90% um, coverage of ethnicity at the moment, although they're trying to, um, to increase that. In primary care, it's even less. Um, uh, and again, there's sort of initiatives that are being um, provided to GP practices to collect ethnic group data from patients. But birth and death registrations are only collect country of birth. So, you know, you get this kind of you know, peculiar situation. But more recently, there's been attempts to link, um, say, birth records and hospital records through the NHS number. So that's called um, numbers for babies. And they, to, to, so that you can look at health outcomes of, of infants um, by um, parents' countries of birth. And that's, I think, a, a hugely um, a, an attempt that's going to help a lot in, in analyzing and, and looking at migration issues. Um, at the same time, registers of infectious diseases like TB and HIV um, collect country of birth data only. So, you know, so you get this kind of issue where you have to piece together these various things and quite a lot of health data is still by ethnicity and so you can't really find out much about migration. Um, the other thing is that government targets to reduce inequalities in health, like in the recent um, couple of years ago, the Marmot report, um, look at ethnic, and obviously do refer to ethnic differences in outcomes, and also look at cross-cutting social determinants of health, such as housing, um, smoking behavior, um, socioeconomic status, and things like that. But um, it's really by ethnicity; they don't really talk to talk about migration at all. So, as a result of all this, uh, there is definitely a need for a more comprehensive collection and analysis of data to understand whether, um, whether and why migration factors interacting with ethnicity and socio-demographic factors may mean that migrants have different needs and different barriers compared to ethnic minority groups uh, born in the UK, and that's, I think, a really central point. Um, so what, for the rest of the presentation, I'm going to focus on three areas. So I'm going to look at the health status of migrants, um, health behavior, and then look more closely at um, access to health care. So, so what do we know about physical and mental health? There is a lot of focus on uh, particular categories, such as asylum seekers and refugees. So, so there will be um, uh, issues around um, impact of conflict and war and the impact of that on, on health. Uh, the migration process, the trauma of the process of migration, 
um, and also settlement, so uh, isolation, loss of status, poverty, insecurity of immigration status, uh, and also the impact of um, government policies such as detention and dispersal, so all that, sort of how that impacts on health. Um, also on mental health, mental health, and a lot of the mental health research is on refugees and asylum seekers as well. There's also some research around health of women who've been trafficked for uh, sex work and, and domestic work. Again, uh, issues around sort of uh, mental health issues as well as physical um, health and um, sort of injuries and things like that. Um, there is less focus on, um, and I'll come back to infectious disease in a, in a minute, but uh, there's less focus on economic my health of economic migrants and family migrants and students. Generally, the kind of impression, um, and I think probably this is not based on a lot of evidence, is that uh, economic migrants tend to be health, generally healthy. Um, but uh, but there, you know, I don't think there's enough done on that. Um, I mean, there are issues around sort of sexual health, um, but not, not a great deal. Um, and there's also issues around the um, workplace health, where people, the health consequences of um, inadequate uh, working conditions, and there's some research done on that. Uh, and I'll say a bit more about maternal and child health um, later. Okay, just to, just to say a little bit about the um, infectious diseases. Where there, where there is information by um, country of birth, as I said, the registers collect country of birth information. Um, you can see quite clearly here that non-UK born uh, people um, have higher rates of TB than UK born people. But there's a lot, it's a lot, um, it, it's more complicated, I think, than just simply saying, oh, well, you know, people bring over TB from other countries and, and then they come here. That's, it's not simple as that because there's, there are sort of significant ethnic differences and there's also different um, change over time. As you can see, this is from the uh, ONS data uh, on the enhanced uh, TB surveillance data. So you can see that some groups, um, actually the, the Asian groups who are quite often linked with TB, uh, there's a drop, like Pakistanis. Um, and among black Caribbeans, it, there seems to be an increase. Um, so, I mean, you've got to take into account these ethnic differences. Um, recently, the, I don't know if people know that, these immigration rules have been um, changed to, um, uh, I mean, so far, people coming from certain countries have been tested as they enter the country. But now, um, the government is trying to say that, well, no, we don't want people who, and we don't want to spend money on people who to test them. So we, the, the part of the entry requirement is to be tested before they arrive, and in certain countries are singled out. Uh, and so these countries are, you know, big, these ethnic, the countries of origin of some of these ethnic groups have been singled out. I'm just asking, just looking at TB, India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, do these, do these reflect? different national policies about TB control, or do they reflect differences in economic status of migrants coming in? No, not, not, none of those. Uh, they, um, they're just collected by, just by um, country, country of origin, mm. and so ethnic groups within that. But, but I mean, uh, uh, the point I wanted to make was the socioeconomic circumstances is not, at least in routine data um, analysis, that's not there. Uh, because a lot of, um, um, uh, in the, H the Health Protection Agency report, which does kind of cover this area, um, they say that um, at least, there's at least a gap of about two years before 
TB is diagnosed anyway. So in that two years, I mean, the, the fact that TB is linked very strongly to socioeconomic situation, poverty and deprivation and, you know, conditions under which people live. Um, I mean, you can't just say that people coming bring this because, you know, it can occur here too. But no, I, I don't think, and I don't, I don't know of any research which has really looked into that in great detail and national policy, but it's, I think it's a really interesting area to, to pursue. Um, so yeah, so so that's that's what I want to say here that you know you, you need to to understand to contextualize these ethnic differences and country of origin differences um, before you come to any conclusions um, and in policy as well. Um, okay, so moving on to health behavior. Uh, so the issues here are really uh, things like um, smoking behavior, alcohol consumption, diet, um, exercise, uh, breastfeeding has been focused on. Um, and I think, um, well, one of the things is that, if, that there's some evidence that um, recent migrants from Eastern European countries have high smoking rates. It's something that is coming out now. Um, I think the, the issue here is, you know, how do you account for these um, patterns of, of health behavior? And one of the framework, theoretical frameworks that have been used is this whole idea of acculturation which is um, the adoption of norms, values, and behaviors of the receiving um, society by migrants. So for instance, um, so there's been some evidence that um, mothers tend to breastfeed less. Um, you know, migrant mothers tend to breastfeed less once they, they come here. Um, higher levels of smoking pregnancy. And I'm referring here to the kind of work I've done when I was working in the National Perinatal Epidemiology Unit. Um, unhealthier diets. Um, you know, there's sort of whole world of issues which I'm sure you, you sort of know about. But um, uh, we did, uh, a colleague of mine in the uh, Department of Public Health and I um, uh, did this analysis of the Millennium Cohort Study, which is the uh, study of um, a, a population-based survey of babies born at the turn of the, um, the century um, and, uh, and, their pair and their families. Um, and we looked at migrant mothers um, and outcome, health outcomes, and we actually found very low rates of uh, smoking and alcohol consumption among particular ethnic groups, uh, particularly Pakistanis and Bangladeshi mothers. And then we found that ethnicity was more important than length of residence um, as a predictor of, of smoking and alcohol consumption. So that however long they, uh, people who've been there for sort of 10 years were no more likely to smoke than people who just arrived. Uh, so ethnicity was, was, was a bigger predictor. Also we found that improving socioeconomic circumstances did not, over time, did not lead to significant change in smoking and um, um, alcohol consumption. So, so, this, so some of the, the research around or thinking around health, uh, health behavior and this whole, that people acculturate into to habits of, you know, health behavior, which is detrimental to their health, um, it's not. I don't think it's, it's, it seems seems not to be a linear process, and, and, and there have been critics of that approach anyway. But, but we found this as well. Um, to focus a little bit about again going in the same sort of thing, but a bit more um, specifically on um, chronic diseases, non-communicable diseases such as um, um, heart disease and stroke, diabetes and cancer. Um, there is, um, I mean, there's evidence of ethnic and country of birth differences in both in increase in risk um, and in prevalence uh, of these uh, diseases. So, for instance, South Asians, I put it in, in inverted commas because 
the, the official data doesn't differentiate according to um, which salutations there, uh, have high rates of um, coronary heart disease, um, diabetes also again linked with salutations, but also um, African Caribbeans. Um, and cancer, apparently, um, there's a less, if you take all cancers together, there's a lower risk, but particular cancers may be high risk among particular ethnic groups. Um, and then the, the kind of models, again, that have been uh, used or employed in this, trying to explain these um, ethnic and country of differences is this, this theory of the healthy migrant effect, that people are healthy, are healthy, people who migrate are healthier than the people do don't migrate and, and healthier to some extent with, um, than the people who are already in the countries, but that they adopt these risky health behaviors, what I talked about, um, uh, you know, poor diet, um, lack of exercise, and that extends to the second generation as well. So, so this, uh, the South Asian migrants' children um, have seem to have these risks of, um, of these diseases in, 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 you know, similar, similarly. Um, but then again, I mean, when you talk about it, it's a bit like this acculturation thing, because when they say, well, they adopt these health behaviors, I mean, who is adopting whose health behaviors? Because you have to look at, differentiate which, not just countries of origin, but also by sex, by age, um, by socioeconomic circumstances, um, and who, you know, uh, I mean, this whole thing about the segmented assimilation theory in the U.S., where it's not just a simple sort of assimilation into a particular value system, it's difference and dif the different uh, groups that you might adopt the behavior of if you are adopting at all. Um, and then there are also um, structural constraints in achieving healthy lifestyles, like um, there's some research I, I did when I was in the NPU, uh, which found that uh, mothers, pregnant women and mothers of, of babies, uh, didn't, living in poor areas, didn't have access to uh, good quality food shops anyway, where they had good quality food, uh, it was too expensive. Um, so there are all sorts of issues right, like that. Um, and then the other thing is the, um, the disease patterns in countries of origin and the pre-migration health of this, I mean, because this whole phenomenon of um, increase in non-communicable diseases is all, all over the world really. And um, in studies done in India um, and in the subcontinent, um, show that there's high rates of diabetes and um, heart disease there as well. So I think there needs to be a much more um, uh, the research. There's more research needs needed into understanding these patterns and and um, just simply saying that people adopt risky health behaviors is, uh, is I think too simplistic. Um, okay, so we come to the um, access in, to and use of healthcare. And here again, I just wanted to present some quite uh, shocking findings, I think, from the Millennium Cohort Study, Wave 1, which shows that, uh, if you look at the bottom, it shows that uh, these are mothers with um, no antenatal care at all. Although the percentages are, you know, not sort of over 10% or anything, but it's quite shocking that antenatal care, that uh, some mothers um, don't actually access antenatal care at all. It's about nearly 8% don't. Uh, who are not born in the UK uh, compared to um, those who are born in the UK, and that's quite a big, um, quite a big difference and quite worrying, I think. Um, and there are particularly high proportions of uh, no antenatal care among mothers born in Pakistan and Bangladesh in that survey. Um, but we did some regression analysis, and that showed that the strongest predictors of no antenatal care were not country of birth or even ethnicity or length of residence in the UK but were socio-demographic factors such as um, younger age, lower educational level, um, a lower occupational class, 
um, and also where they lived. So in areas where there was a high concentration of minority ethnic groups, which also happened to be deprived areas, they seem to be the, this is a quantitative, quantitative analysis, um, they were the bigger predictors than just country of birth. So, because got it. so that shows that you need to sort of understand when you say country of birth differences, you need to kind of, um, you know, take, take that apart and try to understand what's actually going on. Um, okay, so there's some um, research, and largely from small-scale um, and local and um, qualitative studies um, on access to and use of healthcare of, of migrants' families. Um, and some of the, the issues that come out a lot is the um, inadequate information, particularly for recent migrants. They don't, uh, they're not familiar with healthcare systems. Um, they don't know about entitlement. Um, so that affects their um, access to healthcare. Um, insufficient language support, so for instance, um, inadequate translation and interpretation. Um, there's not, um, you know, so there's not enough resources, and that's, uh, you know, always a problem for healthcare providers. Um, poor access to transport in areas where, um, you know, they live, there's not enough you know, public transport to attend um, um, so healthcare. Uh, and then, in, of course, cultural insensitivity providers who stereotype people and don't really give them the care they need, or, or, or people are put off by going to um, healthcare providers who don't seem to understand it. And uh, some of these barriers seem to cut across length of residence, so it's not just new migrants, but also people who've been living here for, for many years. Um, and then the sort of really, I think, very, very important issue which has received some attention, uh, particularly from healthcare providers, is this entitlement to healthcare. And although you might think that here, because um, it's a national health service and people are entitled to use uh, healthcare, it's actually more complicated. Um, and there are restrictions in the immigration regulations uh, for undocumented migrant categories. So those people who've uh, overstayed their visas or who are um, you know, who just, you know, came, came illegally here or, you know, so various reasons they are undocumented, they, they don't have a legal right to live in this country. Um, and there's a lot of confusion um, around, for, among both healthcare providers and migrants about which services can be accessed. Um, so, for instance, at the moment, primary care is at the discretion of GP practices, so anybody really should have access to primary care, but it's not... Um, there are variations in the, the way that the GPs interpret this, and so sometimes they ask for um, um, evidence of like, right to remain, right to live here, um, and they shouldn't really, but they do. Um, hospital care is not free for undocumented migrants at the moment, and there are the government is trying to put all these enforcement uh, uh, sort of issues like um, they have people checking on on right to um, to live here and also if anybody who um, I think there's fairly recent regulation where uh, if you if you have debts to the health service and you try to come back and you leave the country and you want to come back uh, they shouldn't be allowed in so the immigration officer, officials take over that kind of policing role and they work with the hospitals which is seems ridiculous given you know, health care should be a universal access um, so there's a lot of kind of, you know, it's, it's more complicated than just saying, oh, well, you can go to a hospital, you can go to a GP. The um, confidential inquiry into maternal deaths, uh, the most recent one which came out last year, um, and the previous one found that black African mothers had around four times more, well, more four, around four times more likely to die than white mothers. Um, and they, 
actually said that, um, that some of the most of them were, actually, were asylum seekers or those with uncertain immigration status. Um, it's been a drop over the, between the last um, inquiry and this one, but it's still quite high. And, um, and there's also, um, it, the, the inquiry found that um, among the mothers who did die, there was um, some evidence of little or no engagement with uh, maternity services, uh, which again, as I said, even antenatal care, uh, no antenatal care um, some figures show that. Um, and they found there were high proportions among black Caribbean and Pakistani mothers who did not access, um, did not access maternity services. So all those are what they thought was contributory factors to, uh, to their, um, uh, you know, to, to death, really. Um, so there's sort of the impact of these immigration situation on the health outcome of vulnerable migrants is, is quite considerable. Um, so just to sort of like finish off, um, so as I said, there's um, the improved collection of data on migration variables in routine health data systems is, is very important. Um, and you need more research around health needs and barriers to access among migrant categories and reaching out to more vulnerable groups. I mean, pe people are doing this, but it's, you know, it's obviously needs to be stressed, it's important. Um, and then the sort of partnership working in, in, in communities um, across agencies. And, and I've um, talked to some um, healthcare providers, um, the statutory sector and the um, NGO sector, and this doesn't seem to be happening all the time anyway. Um, and there's a lot of um, frustration about that. Um, and then that's it. I just wish we'd do a couple of the pieces of writing. The second one is the, the, the piece I used, the um, evidence from the Millennium Cohorts. So, if anybody's interested in coming this up or talk to me about it. So. Yeah.